We are in a new series, as I said. I just wanted to say something as I was praying yesterday. I did just get the sense that for us as a church and individuals, God was just challenging us to reprioritize our faith and dependence in him and recognizing that this isn't just something else we do, being part of a church, being a Christian. This is like our everything. It's not like we're kind of part of a golf club and then we're a parent or a child or a daughter or a son and then we go to work and we're also a Christian. Actually, this is our everything. This motivates and determines everything we are and everything we do. And I was just quite challenged myself by what does it look like to reframe ourselves around the reality that as a disciple of Jesus, that dictates everything I do, everything I look at, how I spend my money, how I live my life, every eventuality that I face. So we're in a new series in the run-up to Easter, and we want to kind of look at the 40 days leading up to Easter, and some of us might be kind of cutting back on caffeine or sugars or doing different things for Lent. Put your hands up if you're doing anything for Lent. A few of us, okay, right? But what we want to do is consider what does it look like for us to focus our attention and, and hearts and minds on the journey of Jesus to the cross, to the resurrection? What does it look like to look at the stories of Jesus through the Gospels and to focus our attentions and lives on this most central event in history, to shape our focus, to look at our lives in the light of Jesus? When we look at the moment in terms of what's going on in our church or our personal lives or our work situation or in Ukraine, we want to do this in the light of what's happening as a journey of Jesus to the cross. We want to look at the gospel, we want to look at the good news, the teaching, the ministry of Jesus, and shape our lives around that. We want to prioritize him. We want to build everything around that to shape and mold everything we do around the life, teaching, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. We want to journey together as a body to the cross and to center our attention on him and his teaching, his ministry, his death and resurrection. I don't know if you know, but the most played song at funerals is I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. Now, don't get me wrong, it's an absolute belt of a tune, right? It's a brilliant tune. I love it. But I was just thinking this week, what does it look like when I get to the end of my life to be saying, I did it my way? Is that what I want to be saying? Do we want to be saying as Christians, those of us who follow Jesus, I did it my way? Surely the desire is we did it his way. We did it for him. We journeyed with him. We followed him. We rooted our lives in him. We depended on him. We did it his way. That's what we're hoping to do in this series, is to recognize that it's all about him. It's all for him. It's all because of him, and to shape and mold and build our lives on the life and teaching of him. So let's open up today. We are in the kind of prequel of this journey, and we're in Luke 4. So we're in Luke 4 from verse 1. So Luke 4. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Isn't that just groundbreaking theology right there? Jesus didn't eat for 40 days, and he was hungry. So you can write that down in your notepads. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It is given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Why don't we just pray as we reflect on this passage. Yeah, Father, we simply want to just be obedient to what you want to teach us. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to miss anything that you might want to say to us individually as a church. We just want to be completely open to you. And I pray that you'd be speaking to us this morning in a powerful and significant way. Amen. So something that blew my mind in recent years, and I'm sorry if this is obvious to you, but it really kind of just struck me years ago, is that it's the spirit that led Jesus to the wilderness. I mean, it'd make way more sense, wouldn't it, if it was the devil who led Jesus to wilderness, but it's the spirit who led Jesus to his wilderness place. This place of isolation, this place of desolation, this place of lack, of difficulty, of opposition. The spirit leads Jesus there. Sometimes God allows us to go to a place of wilderness. Sometimes God allows us to go to a place of suffering, of challenge. God doesn't enjoy seeing his children suffer, but he often allows it. If I asked those of you who are parents, would you want your child to suffer? Would you want your child to go through struggles and pain and difficulty? My guess is your gut reaction would be, no, of course I don't. But when you stop and think of it, you know that for yourself and for your children, for others, our friends, our family, who we journey with, actually it's often the trials and tribulations that shape us. The most loving, perfect father of all time allowed his perfect son, who had done none, no wrong, to go through suffering, to enter the wilderness, to go to this place of opposition, of challenge. I've done a lot of thinking about this in recent years, and I've been absolutely fascinated by the lobster. Now, I'm not like a world-renowned expert on the lobster, so if that's you this morning, you can come and correct me after. But basically, the lobster has these kind of like flappy arms, right? And it just kind of goes around doing that a lot underwater, and I don't know, whatever it does. That's the picture that I found this morning. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, that's a lobster, in case you've never seen a lobster before. But... What happened with a lobster I found out years ago, something which really kind of just struck me and challenged me was the fact that the lobster goes along and it flaps its little arms, etc. And then its mushy interior, it has this kind of soft, mushy interior, gets too big and uncomfortable in its current shell. So what happens, it has to go under a rock and it has to kind of get uncomfortable, get stressed and strained. And then because of that, it gets rid of that shell and grows a new shell under the rock and then flaps along again, moves along, and then it gets stressed and strained and uncomfortable again. And it has to go through this same thing again in order to grow, in order to strengthen, in order to develop and get bigger. This repeats itself in order for the shell to get bigger and for the lobster to grow. The point is obvious, right, that the lobster needs the pain and the struggle, the stress and the strain in order to grow. We often have wilderness places in order to allow us to grow, to be more like Jesus, to be shaped and molded into his likeness. God doesn't shape and mold us or prune us to be unkind. He does it because he wants to prepare us. He wants to grow us. He wants to develop us. He wants to nurture and mature us. You see, mountaintops are great. Worship is great. Being on top of the world feels great when everything is going well, but actually it's so often the valleys where things grow. Things grow in the valleys. Things don't grow in the mountaintops. We're always being prepared. We're always growing for what's next. We're always being stretched and developed for what's next. This is vital preparation for Jesus' ministry. He hasn't actually done anything at this stage. He's done very little earthly ministry, but it's vital preparation, this place of wilderness. 
Many of us can attest to how wilderness experience, the times of growth and development have been really key for our own lives, for our own journey of discipleship. They help shape and mold us. I even have said this a few times before, I'm sure that this pandemic period will be something where actually we realize it's helped us form and grow individually and as a church, it's helped us be more like Jesus. We value these seasons of preparation and growth. It's like metal forged in the fire. It doesn't always feel nice, but it's necessary for growth and formation. It says in scripture, what the devil meant for harm, Jesus uses for our good. Our test will so often be our testimony. The difficulties will so often be our testimony. The difficulties will be what nurture and grow and develop us, will be vital for our molding individually and also as a church family. In recent years, I've been up to a lot of teaching around self-care and how do I look after myself and how do I grow myself. And of course, that's right and we need to be better as a society looking after one another and caring for one another, absolutely. But I think the danger, if we're honest, is that we can, as a church, allow that to creep in and think that actually suffering and sacrifice is something we need to avoid. And at times, we have to embrace it for the sake of discipleship. Eugene Peterson talks about the difference between soul care and self-care. He says that soul care is taking care of a part of you that's most attuned to God's presence, whereas self-care is pandering to your own desires in the moment. We need to pander not pander to desires our moments, but be attuned to God's presence. What is it God's saying to us? What is it he wants to teach us? What is it he's doing in us? What is he teaching me? How can I be more like him? What is it he's showing me in this place? We need to pursue soul care, and this so often occurs in a place of wilderness. The wilderness, the places of lack, the places of spiritual kind of growth and development are so important to us to be dependent on Jesus, where everything else seems to be taken away where everything else seems to lack, where that place of desolation, that place of isolation, that place of just difficulty and opposition is so often the places that we grow. But what we also see in this passage is that the Father was very much with Jesus. The angels were with him. The angels were there. The Father's tender care was with Jesus. Jesus is with us in our wilderness experience. God is there. He's helping us. He's there to ensure that no temptation is too strong for Jesus. He's there for us to ensure that no temptation is too great for us. He's there when the wilderness just seems too bleak and too difficult. He's there to come alongside us. Pete Gregg says that in those times of difficulty, God can pull us out. And sometimes he pulls us out of those difficult places and frees us of the situation. But at times he also parachutes in and gets alongside us and holds our hand. He puts his arm around us, journeys with us. He's with us in his, our struggles. He's with us when life gets difficult. It says in scripture that God never lets us face more than we can handle, but we do go through struggles to grow and mold us. We have these wilderness periods, these periods where we have to embrace what God is doing in and through us. What is he teaching us? What is he shaping in us? What is he molding in us? What is he growing us into? But I also want to say in the wilderness we have a choice and we see these choices that Jesus had. Are we going to fully trust God? Are we going to trust that he'll provide? Are we going to fully trust that he'll be with us? Are we going to believe that God is able? Are we going to believe that he cares? Are we going to believe that God is there beside us? You see, what happens in the wilderness we see with Jesus is that the devil tries to undermine his dependence on God. The devil tries to undermine our dependence on God. He's alone, he's isolated, and the devil tempts him. The devil tries to undermine him. And again, he hasn't fed the 5,000. He hasn't fed... For multitudes, he hasn't given sight to blind, he hasn't healed people, he hasn't restored people back to their full health at this stage. And the devil is trying to undermine him. Is God really able? Is he really 
able to work with you? Is he really able to work for you? Is he really able to carry you and journey with you? Because in the passage before in the baptism, Jesus has just been affirmed, appointed, anointed. He's been affirmed as the son whom I dearly love, the child who I dearly love. You are my son whom I'm well pleased. He knew his identity. He was affirmed. He was anointed. The spirit was with him. The spirit was there, able to prepare and equip him for all the ministry ahead. He was appointed. He knew that he had a road ahead, a journey of a few years of ministry that would literally change the world. He was appointed, and he knew his call, his purpose. He knew what was before him. But at this stage, he'd done nothing, and the devil tries to challenge him. We, too, have been affirmed, anointed, and appointed. If we call ourselves children of God, we are affirmed. We're his sons and daughters whom he dearly loves. And some of you might just need to hear that this morning, that you're his child who he dearly loves, and that is always enough. But we're also anointed. We have the Spirit working through us for what's before us. We're anointed by his power. and We're appointed for a purpose. Each and every one of us has a purpose and plan for God. God has an anointing and an appointing and an affirmation on our lives. says, I want to use you. I want to choose you. I want to work with you. But the devil immediately tries to undermine our appointment, tries to undermine our anointing and affirmation, saying, how dare you think that you can do this? How dare you think that you're able It isn't an audible voice, but the whisper in the head. Is God really able to help you? Is God really there when you're feeling at your low points? Is God really there? Can he really provide when actually things feel bleak and empty, when you feel like all your bills are just way above what your income is? Is he really able to provide for you? Can God really use you? Can God really use me? He whispers those doubts in us. Or we try and force God's timing. We try and force him because it doesn't seem like he's coming, so we try and force him because we listen to the alternative rather than trusting in our affirmation, our anointing, our appointing of God. And there's whispers here of the Adam and Eve, of the devil whispering to Adam the seeds of doubt. There's whispering of the years of the wilderness that Moses went through, the 40 years of the wilderness, who was the ultimate revered king of the, the Old Testament. And he had the 40 years of wilderness, and Jesus got the 40 days of wilderness. And Jesus is going to be the new Adam, the new hope for mankind. The new Moses, the ultimate leader, he's going to be the son of God who will save his people, will take them to the promised land. But then the doubt comes, the opposition comes. Is he really able? Is he really the one that God's got for this plan? Is he the new leader and king they've been waiting for? He tries to undermine him. He tries to knock his affirmation, his anointing, his appointing. This is the primary tactic of a devil to distract us, to undermine us, to challenge our anointing, our affirmation, our appointment in his kingdom. We need to remember as well that it's just whispers, it's just suggestions. Augustine famously said that, remember that the devil can only ever suggest he can't actually make anything happen. Jesus is being tempted, but he has the power and authority. He has the power and authority of the Father. He can only have suggestions. He's only able to distract. We trust in Jesus and we claim to him and cling to him in these situations. The devil is trying to undermine Jesus. The devil will try and undermine us and try to say, actually, the situation in Ukraine is beyond me. The situation in your life is beyond me. But we trust in him. We believe in him. And then we also see that the devil tries to attack him through the alternative temptations. For idols taking place of a father, for alternative gods taking a place, or trying to play God or not trust God or to force God. He's trying to challenge Jesus to step into where he should trust his father for provision, trust his father for authority, trust his father to show the way. He's trying to encourage him to play God or to not trust God or to force God into something. And we see these temptations, he says, 
If you're really the son of God, then command this stone to become a loaf of bread. The temptation to feel good, the temptation to not trust in God's provision, but to feel good and to have it instantly. Or secondly, the temptation to have this kingdom, all the kingdoms of the world, the temptation to have, to become greedy and selfish, to make it about us. And Jesus would have been tempted by the devil to compete with the Roman Empire, to have it now, to take on the kingdoms, to take on all the kingdoms of the world, to have all the kingdoms of the world before him and not trust in God's kingly authority through him. And then thirdly, to throw yourself off this rock. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, to throw himself off the highest point to the Gentile court, to temptation to be, the temptation to make it about him. And of course, it's always about Jesus. But the temptation for him was to make it about him in that moment and not about his father. The temptation to feel good, the temptation to have, and the temptation to be. And these temptations were crucial, as we see, for Jesus' ministry. He will see his father feed a multitude. Later on, he trusts through the father's provision to feed the 4,000, to feed the 5,000. He will refuse to become king, to become an earthly king, because he knew that God had greater things for him. He had to refuse to become king. And he also resisted the taunts to escape the cross. Later on, he had to trust in God's timing, to trust in God's power, and resist the temptation to quit the cross. The same choices he made in the, devil, in, the, sorry, in the desert were crucial for his ministry later on. They were key preparation for him and they're key preparation for us. Is it the same temptations for us? These temptations are pretty much the same in every situation. The same temptations for us today, of the, the temptation to have, to feel good, to be. It's hedonism, materialism, egoism. It's John and his apostles talked about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. It's passion, possession, and position. It's sex, money, and power. It's the same temptations, the same distractions. And we need to name right that we've constantly seen leaders and others fall at these hurdles, don't we? So we can just regularly see the temptations of these things that are distracting and allowing us to kind of be... Swaying in an alternative world for an alternative kingdom that's not of Jesus' best and choice for us. I recently did an Instagram post and it got a whopping six likes. So it was obviously just went down an absolute storm. Yeah, it wasn't really asking for a laugh. I was actually kind of asking for encouragement. But I had um, six likes. So obviously, you know, really blew the Instagram world away. I'm sure many of you have seen it because it was just, you know, groundbreaking. But it was on the, it was a screenshot of the front of the BBC website. And I know that's not really the done thing, right? Okay, you don't do that. You don't screenshot things. I know that now. I learnt my lesson. But on the front of the BBC website was these kind of three main headlines, and one was around Prince Andrew, one was around Boris and Partygate, and one was around Djokovic and all that was happening in his tennis world and the vaccines, etc. And I was just like, man, these three kind of key leaders in these three spheres of society and all are kind of just not modelling kind of brilliant leadership to us. This is our front page of our news and our politics, our sports, and our royal family are all struggling in different ways. You see, it's not that sex, money, and power, and these different things are bad. It's not that kind of the desire to have good things and to have and to be and to trust in God for it all is a bad thing. It's that God is a jealous God and wants us to have no idols before him. He wants us to completely trust on his provision, completely trust in his affirmation, to completely trust in his timing, to completely trust that he's got us and cares for us, and his tender love is there for us. You see, these crucial battles were key for Jesus, but they're also key for us to choose generosity and not greed, to not force it to make it about us, but to choose to have another way to live a life of generosity. 
to choose integrity rather than self-satisfaction, rather making it about me, trusting God for integrity, and to choose selflessness rather than pride. We choose, we choose to fully trust God, his timing, his provision, not giving in to temptations. You see, the primary work with God so often is that we fully depend on him, that we fully trust in him, but we are humbled before him, saying, actually, it's all about you. I completely trust in your provision, in your way before me. The primary work of God is so often to make us fully dependent on him, to fully trust in him for his timing, for his provision, for his anointing, for his appointing, for his affirmation, to not be distracted by anyone else or any other thing and say, actually, in this place of wilderness, I will fully depend on you for my everything. The wilderness is a place of lack, of confusion, of unknowns. And in this place, we are stripped back to simply having Jesus. And we realize that actually all we need is Jesus. In this place of desolation, we realize that actually everything else has been taken away. And we realize that all we have left is Jesus, but that's actually all we need. And when we get stripped back, we fully depend on him for our authority, for our anointing, and for our affirmation and our provision. So Jesus knew his power was available and always chose to serve God. He chose the path of humility. He was God, but he always chose to follow his Father, to live a life of dependence on God. And this is a challenge to many of us because we like to be in control, we like to be in charge, we like to be in the driving seat. But actually so often the path of Jesus is that of sacrifice, of service, of humility. God's cho- chosen son chose a life of surrender and humility. It says throughout scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In the wilderness we are humbled. In the wilderness we are prioritizing him and saying it's all about him. It's not thinking less of yourselves but thinking of yourself less is what they say about humility. It's about putting God and others before anything else. Saying It's all about him and it's all about others. That's the way of Jesus to love God with all our hearts and to love others as ourselves. And this can go against everything our culture speaks about because it can be so easy about looking after, number one, my needs, my opportunities, and my rights, but actually we completely trust in him. We completely trust in his ways. What is it like to have that path of humility? Pope Francis in 2013 was asked to choose the new cardinals and priests, and he famously said, I want those who aren't measured up for their new suits. I don't want those who are ready to step into positions. I want those who smell of their sheep. I want those who choose the humble path. I want those who repeatedly choose that path of humility. What does it look like to increasingly, from a place of wilderness, to depend on God and to lean into him and fully depend on one another? To serve one another, to love one another, to live that life of surrender, that life of just complete dependence on him and service to others. To follow the path of Jesus, living for him and living for others. That's actually the most fulfilled life. This has been slightly more heavy than I was intending, so apologies. I feel like I should chuck in a joke, but I haven't really got one, so sorry. But what I was just aware to kind of close, one of the things that really just struck me and blew me away by this story of Jesus in the wilderness as I was reading and praying to actually for myself a few weeks ago was that Jesus kind of is led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he goes there and as we talked about, it's a place of humility, it's a place of dependence, it's a place of trust in God, it's a place of just believing that he's able to carry us even in the most dark and difficult storms. He's using it as a place of preparation. He's using it as a place of dependence on him, not to be distracted by alternative whispers of the devil, but to completely trust in his timing and his call. But what I also noticed as I was looking in my Bible recently, 
is that Jesus in Luke 4 verse 42 chooses to return to wilderness. He chooses to go to wilderness. He chooses to go to wilderness, not just his place of prayer and place of surrender before God, but actually his place of complete dependence on him, his place, complete place of wilderness. He obviously knew it was a significant place for him. He obviously knew it was a place of necessary shaping and molding and a necessary place of preparation. He embraced the wilderness. He went to his wilderness place. He went to his place of dependence. He went to his place of being sharpened before God, of being humbled before God. There's another fascinating facet to this story, and that is this. The only person that could have shared this story, the only person that could have taught this story, the only person that could have reported this story to the disciples is, of course, Jesus. He's the only individual that's there. He's the only one that can say what happened in the the wilderness because he was the only individual who was there. So he must have told his disciples, he must have told his followers, he must have wanted it to be in the Gospels because he obviously saw it as an absolute foundational piece of building and preparation for him in terms of his ministry and therefore for us. He was obviously really keen for us to realize that we need to embrace the wilderness. We need to embrace this Lent period. We need to embrace this opportunity before us to really depend on him, to lean into him, and to recognize it's all about him. That he wants to mold us. He wants to shape us. He wants to grow us. He wants us to embrace the wilderness. The way of Jesus is always sacrifice and suffering. We can have both confidence and humility. Confidence that we're all anointed, affirmed and appointed. Confident that we have a purpose and plan. Confident that he's called us. Confidence that he's got us. Confidence that he's in us and working through us. But also the path of humility, the path of surrender, the path of dependence on us. Paul says, strength and weakness fully depend on Jesus. My grace is sufficient when your strength is in my weakness, when you're fully before me, dependent on me, my grace is always sufficient. If you're feeling in the wilderness place at the moment, if you're feeling kind of in this place of emptiness and lack, are you going to trust that God is enough, that he's able, that he's with you? Are you going to trust that he's behind you and supporting you and his arms around you? Are you going to trust that he's there beside you? Let's embrace the wilderness. God wants us to embrace the wilderness. What is he teaching us? What is he molding us? What is he shaping in us in this place of wilderness? Why don't we stand if we're able, and I would love to pray for us. So we'll be prayer ministry over there. If anyone just feels kind of like the, the storm before them is too great, and they just feel like this kind of wilderness period they find themselves in is just too difficult, then we'd love just to pray for you. We'd love just to kind of yeah, journey that with you and just pray that God would parachute alongside you and be with you even though the temptations or the difficulties may feel too severe but trust that he's with you and what does it look like to embrace the wilderness to celebrate that time of preparation and growth. But I'd love just to pray for us now and if that's you then feel free just to put your hands out if you're just feeling kind of in an absolute wilderness place. If you're feeling kind of like just so desolate and so desperate so kind of just as if Everything else is being stripped away. I'd love you to just put your hands if you feel able. If not, just say it in your heart. God can listen to that too. I'd love just to pray for you right now. Yeah, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for anyone who's just feeling like kind of it's just too much and there's just too difficult a road ahead. I pray that your peace that surpasses all understanding would right now just comfort them and just be all over them and just they would just embrace that real sense of your presence and your goodness. And there'd be a supernatural joy and peace, Lord, we pray.
And I pray they'd know your tender love and care and your provision and your just arm around them right now. But I pray for us as a church and individuals, I pray we'd be people who embrace these seasons of preparation, embrace these seasons where you want to sharpen and mold us and grow us. Holy Spirit, would we be always open to what you want to do in for us, always open to your refinement. Help us choose the path of humility, the path of sacrifice, the path of just being prepared to give everything for the sake of the kingdom, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.